0: If you would, open your Bible there to Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 5 uh, this morning. Last time I was preaching to you, we talked about uh, a uh, new clothes. And how Paul described how we're to put on the new man. And he continues with this uh, thought very much. I, I believe this is kind of a continuation of the thought. he was. Uh, we talked about this last time about new clothes, putting on the new man. It 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 helps us to um, it, it's us to understand this with the, if we connect these thoughts together because what Paul then asks us to do is to have a new walk. If we read that first verse in chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, it says, "But ye therefore, oh excuse me, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children." Let's pray, Father. I praise you for your word. Lord, we should praise you and worship you and thank you for your word every minute of our life because our very salvation is rooted in your word. It's been revealed to us through your word. And the way we're to live our life and the wisdom we need for this life and your will revealed to us is in your word. God, it is so precious to us. Lord, I thank you for this passage. God, I pray you would empower me uh, beyond my ability to share the truth The truths revealed here by Paul's words in these 17 verses. Lord, help me to communicate your word to your people, and Lord, help us to live it out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard the saying, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree? What does that mean? I know, I asked you a question in a Baptist church and you're supposed to be stoic and not sing loud and not clap your hands or raise your hands or any of that stuff. You're not supposed to worship outwardly, but I promise it's going to be okay. Lightning will not fall from heaven if you answer my question. What does it mean that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, Sister Kathy? That you'll be like your parents, parents. yeah. Or maybe a better one is uh, like father, like son, yeah i uh, I had the blessing of having a really great dad when I was growing up, and uh you know my dad was a he w- i had a lot of great older examples I had an older brother, two older brothers, but one that I really loved and the other one I loved more later um, but my oldest brother Dave and my dad I wanted to be just like them in my eyes they were the epitome of strength and 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 uh and and something to be admired and i you know i boys do things to kind of imitate their dads, right? I remember I had a, uh, uh, when I would take baths, I had a, my mom had bought me a a Flintstones shaving kit. It looked like a little rock on a stick, you know, and it was plastic and it came with a little bit of shaving cream. And I loved that little shaving, pretend shaving thing so much, my mom bought me a whole can of Barbasol to keep doing it. And, uh, <laughs> I would take baths and I would pretend to shave because I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be like my dad. I remember one time also when my dad was mowing the lawn, my brothers were out there helping him and my mom must not have been home because I snuck into his bathroom and I got his real razor. And I found out how sharp it was. But sons have a tendency to take on the characteristics of their father. Children have a tendency to take on the habits and the characteristics of their parents. And Paul is telling the readers in this passage, especially in this verse, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. imitate We're to imitate God. That's what that means. This new walk that we're to walk in, and he's going to talk about walking in a minute, and I have three points about that, and I'll share with them with you. But this new walk is exhibited and displayed and exampled for us in God. My three points this morning, I'll try to move through them quickly, is walk in love, walk in light, and then walk in wisdom. And these first two verses, which are, this is a really dense passage, by the way, and, uh, and I'm already up, up against the time. Not that that really matters. You can endure a little longer than you think. But these first two verses talk about walking in love. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Listen, if you're today here and you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you know where you're headed when you die, you should walk in love. Your life should just shine the love of God into every area of your life. People ought to be able to see you working at your job that you don't always love, going to the school you don't always enjoy studying at, uh, 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 mowing your lawn, doing whatever you do in your neighborhood, Listen, they ought to see that and they ought to see the love of God in your life. We're to walk in love. And he gives two examples. First, it talks about as dear children. Well, How, how is it that we've become children of God? Uh, we're supposed to love like the Father. How did we become his children? Well, if we go back to uh, Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says that, uh, it says verse 4, I'm going to read verse 4 too. Goodness, how do you read? Man, I'm back in chapter one. I have this problem with chapter one, don't I? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, this is verse three, in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And listen to verse five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The way that we became children is it tells us that God the Father adopted you through Jesus. And it wasn't something he did because he was kind of like, you know, constrained into this idea because Jesus followed through with the cross and now, well, I guess I have to adopt these, these rascals. No, he did it according to his will. You have you have been uh, saved by the will of God. You have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and now He is your Father. And Galatians four six says, not only can we consider Him our Father, but now we can cry out, "Abba, Father," Abba, which is such a a, a intimate name for for a Father. It means daddy. I'm still. I turned forty one this last week, just Wednesday, and. And you know what? When I see my dad, I don't call him father. I call him dad. I call him daddy. Every now and again, it'll slip out. Because he's my daddy and I love him. He has such a dear uh, place in my life. And our relationship with our heavenly father is to be the same. In fact, God designed this relationship to be intimate incredibly intimate. Now it says in Galatians 4, 6, like I said, that we can now call him Abba, Father. He has filled our life. Not only has he given us a father, he's filled our life with a new family. If you're here and you've trusted Christ and you know where you're going when you die because of the blood of Jesus Christ and you have a heavenly father, not only that, if you're a member of this church, you have a heavenly family there's a reason. It's kind of bizarre. I, I learned uh, from, uh, from some new members. They're not new any longer. They've been here for quite a while. But uh, uh, they came from a church and from a background where they didn't call each other brother and sister. Well, there's a reason why we do it. Did you know that? The reason why I called Marty over here, Brother Marty, and Brother Lester here, who's twice my age, he's still my brother in Christ. Uh, brother Billy back there is my brother. Sister Sandy is my sister. We're, we're a family in Christ. We're connected by this uh, uh, common father that we have, and, and not only has he given us a new family in each local church, he's given us chores to do. He's given us sacred responsibilities. He' is like you know he's like a real dad. OK? My kids have some responsibility I wouldn't know if we would call doing the dishes and taking out the trash sacred but they're important and God has given us sacred responsibilities chores to do we're to share the gospel so we're to walk in love love like the father but the the great example given to us here in Ephesians chapter 5 is in verse 2 and that's in Christ it's a more explicit example he moves Paul moves to the cross as an example of love he says uh, walk in love as Christ has also loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God. Uh, uh, he's talking about the cross. He's talking at the, about the power of Christ's love demonstrated through the cross. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, uh, I love the movie Back to the Future. The first one, what is the main song by Huey Lewis in the news that you, that you hear at the beginning? You remember? No, that's, that's number two. The first one, you remember? That's the power of love. Yeah, right? And he's singing about something that's earthly. I'm talking about something that is heavenly and beyond any power we've ever seen. I mean, we're talking about power beyond the power of a mother's love. We're talking about the power of love that sent an a, a innocent man, actually God, leaving his place in heaven to come to earth to live in our dirty world and to shed his innocent blood for you. And I don't know what you think about yourself, but you're not that great, okay? I didn't deserve the blood of a savior to cover my sins, but the power of his love was demonstrated through this tremendous sacrifice. And the example for us is that our walking in love should mean mean sacrifice in our own life. The power, uh, the, the pattern, what about the pattern of his love? Well, the pattern of Christ's love is giving ourselves away for the good of another.
1: You see that often in our world today? Do you? No.
0: It's bizarre. It's strange to unbelievers. Sacrificial love. They, they've never witnessed it like you and I have experienced it through Christ. But you know, you should be willing to give up your comforts and your dreams and your ambitions and your, maybe your financial gain. You should be willing to give up everything for the good of others by sharing the gospel for them. is sharing the gospel is not a convenient thing not at all. It's not convenient to share the gospel because you know what? It's divisive. Nobody wants to hear they're a sinner. Nobody wants to hear that if they die, they're going to go to hell. They might want to hear what they can do about it if they believe that such a thing is true. But let me tell you, the truth is, is every single person needs to know it. They need to hear the gospel. And it's not convenient for us to do this. It's going to require sacrifice. Do you know what? Christ is our example in that he gave up Everything
1: for you. And like I said, you're not that great.
0: And neither am I. Like Paul, I, I consider myself chiefest of sinners when I compare myself to the glory of God. It's our calling to share the gospel. It's a a, a calling for us to show, to walk in love, not just to walk in love as though it's a sentiment. Like just to say I love you, I can I can stand up here before you and tell every single one of you I do love you, I love you. But you know it didn't mean anything if I don't live it. I tell my boys on a daily basis I love you, and I do. But would it mean as much to them if I treated them like garbage? If I if all I was was mean and hateful and and hurtful to them? No. If I just didn't, you know what? Would it mean as much to them if I just neglected them fully? Listen, there's fathers and parents in the world that do this with their children, that neglect their kids. Their kids don't even really know that their parents love them because they've never seen their parents love them. Listen, we're to walk in love as in indeed. 1 John 3.8, uh, John wrote, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed. And in truth, the pattern of love, the pattern of love that we see exampled in Christ is that he did something with his love. And we're to do the same as we try to walk in love. Jesus' demonstration of love moves us to love one another, to forgive one another, to give financially for others, to spread the gospel, to be patient with others, even to love others who who annoy you. Jesus' demonstration of love in Ephesians tells us that we're to repent of racism and display love towards different people from us. Listen, uh, let me just, you know, maybe I've, already, I've already brought it up, so I'll just continue with this just for a moment. You know, there's only one race. If you have any idea about there being uh, other races and, and some are lesser than you because of their skin color or because of their ethnic background or because of their culture, let me tell you, that's a lie from the pits of hell. God made man. That was it. And we all came from one Adam and Eve. That's where we come from. All colors, all cultures, all all backgrounds, we all come from. We're all the same. And we're to love others as Christ loved us. We should demonstrate our love through all these things and also for caring for those in need. How, How can we do that? Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified. Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's kind of the same thing as putting off the old man and putting on the new man, isn't it? Yet not I, but now Christ liveth in me. And the life and the love that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, the only way we're going to be able to follow the pattern of Jesus' love and to walk in love in our life is to die to ourselves. i got to keep moving. What about the smell, the perfume of love? It talks about this in this passage. He says, verse 2, he says, As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What is he talking about? Well, how many of y'all have, have read in the, New, in the Old Testament about the, the sacrifices put on the altar and how they were described as a sweet-smelling savor? You know, the only time they were described that way is when they were acceptable to God. Let me tell you, if you want to live a life acceptable to God, you ought to walk in love. It is uh, you ought to be willing to sacrifice uh, that is a walk in love. It's, a, it's a, sacrifice, a sacrifice of love that is pleasing to God. I, I was thinking about this and I, I, I was reminded of missionaries and, and just kind of digging into some missionaries that maybe had really sacrificed. I came across Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. And her main mission work was to take care of children who would fall into abuse or who would uh, experience tremendous amounts of neglect, children who nobody wanted and who everybody would rather just use them for their own pleasures. She said this, and I can't, can't post much here, but I want to share this quote with you about, from her. She said, one can give without loving. Do you know that? You can give something without loving, but
1: one cannot love without giving. Listen,
0: we ought to be willing to give of ourselves in such a way that it is acceptable to God, that it is sweet in his nostrils, that, uh, that he is pleased by what he sees. So we're to walk in love. We're also to walk in light. Look at these next several verses, but fornication So he changes gears, he starts to contrast, Uh, he's talked about how we should live, and now he's going to talk about what we shouldn't do. He says, but for fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So the very first thing on his list tells us that we're to seek God instead of seeking idols. Uh, The first thing on the list is fornication. Sexual impurity—it's at the top of the list. And why is that? You might think that uh, a sexual sin is is like that—that has been, you know, uh, it's at its zenith now in history. But in reality, uh, it was going on in quite a horrible way back then, all the way back in the first century, and especially in the in the uh, place of Ephesus, where uh, the worship of Diana there involved prostitutes in the temple. It involved. Uh, 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 doing these erotic, sexually impure things in the temple. Listen, God made sex, and it's a good thing, but it belongs in marriage. It belongs in marriage. That's the only place that it belongs. You're not going to ever have a, a, a fulfilling sexual life without it existing in marriage, because that's how God designed it. He also talks about uncleanness. Uh, Uh, uncleanness that means any kind of filth Uh, we're to do as peter wrote in first uh, first peter 1 16 because it is written be ye holy for i am holy and then he 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 identifies covetousness uh, and i did just messed up that word that's okay what is covetousness man don't say it how what is greed it's greed Uh, you know what how many of you' all feel like greed is a major sin in your life? you don 't have to raise your hands? Just raise it in your heart. Hey, did you know that if you 're American it 's probably one of your top sins? Money has become our God it It drives almost all of our decisions it uh, uh, the The pleasures that money brings drives almost all of our decisions. nice cars, nice houses. Uh, it is such a a, a a part of our culture that we kind of identify ourselves as as not being successful if we don't have the certain kind of house or a certain kind of car. Listen, you may not believe it, but greed is part of the sin in your life. You may be thinking, sitting there thinking, "Brother Darren, you don't know me. I've I've conquered that sin in my life." Let me tell you, don't fool yourself. The devil wants you to believe that lie, and I, 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 you're right. I don't know your heart, but I know that the heart of of Americans is a heart of greed. Look at what he says about this. And In verse 4, he says, verse 3, he said, let it not be once named among you. These things that he's talked about, don't even have a little bit of it in your life. It shouldn't be named to you at all, even a little. There should be no hint or whiff of sexual impurity or, or greed in your life. He goes on. He talks about uh, uh, corrupt speech and, uh, and foolish talking or jesting. Uh, I don't think that means he, you can't have a sense of humor. I think it means you should be serious about things that are serious. You should take seriously what God has, uh, has, 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 has saved us to do. And that corrupt speech in verse 4, it says, but rather giving of thanks, it should be replaced with thankfulness. You know, it's really hard to complain when you're thankful. It's really hard to get bent out of shape about your circumstances in your life if you're thankful for the circumstances in your life. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because it is crazy. You can't be, you can't be uh, uh, unhappy with your circumstances if you're thankful for them. And you might think, I don't have any, anything to be thankful for. Well, did you wake up this morning? Hey, is the air still breathable? Is there, a, is there a hope? Is there, is there money in your bank account or is there the hope of money? Hey, even if there's not, God supplies for all who have need. He does it through, uh, uh, through our jobs, but he also can do it through the church. He can do it through all kinds of means. Let me tell you, you may think your circumstances just aren't right today, but let me tell you, God has allowed you to live in them. You may be there in those circumstances because of your own sinful choices, but I can tell you God wants what's good for you, and he wants you to come out of them. We should be thankful for him, thankful for what he's done for us, instead of focusing on all the things we don't like or how we didn't get our way. Verse 5 and 6, For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. What he's saying is he's giving a warning, he's saying, Listen, if you're going to live this way, you're gonna experience the fruit of it. And you're gonna experience the wrath of God on those who are unbelievers. If you're a believer, you shouldn't be experiencing that. You should not be facing that. There's a warning there. Verse 7, But be not ye therefore partakers with them. You know, this verse could also be uh, mirrored in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. When he's talking about with them, he's talking about unbelievers. He's talking about the unsaved who, who can only live by the flesh, and their flesh only produces sin. Cannot produce pleasing things to God. He says, don't be partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness. I, I love how, he, how this is worded. He says, you were, you were darkness. He's talking, he's, Paul is writing to believers here. He's writing to a church. And if you're here and you're part of this church, you're at least supposed to be, by your testimony, a believer. He says, you were darkness, but now are you
1: light? There's quite a contrast there, isn't there? I mean, what's the opposite of darkness? Light.
0: These are opposites. And what he's saying is, he's not saying that you had once walked in darkness. He says you were... At one time, you were
1: darkness. But now, you
0: are light. Something has radically changed in you. You have a completely new identity. And he doesn't say you're just light on your own because of your own awesomeness. He says you are light
1: in the Lord. So now walk as children of light.
0: But you were sometimes darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're to walk in the light. Light, we should show the fruit of light. That means we shouldn't join those in darkness. We should live it out in our new identity. We should do what's right and good and true. We see that in verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We should be doing things that are good, right, and true. I try to teach my kids this. You know, whenever, uh, whenever you have feelings, feelings are not good and right and true all the time. You've got to get back to the facts. Let me tell you, you're not going to find any more factual book than the book of God's Word. When you get uh, attacked by the devil or attacked by life or by your own flesh... To, to focus on your circumstances that you don't enjoy or you don't like. Let me tell you, you need to redirect your thoughts on the, that what is good, right, and true, and then walk in those things. I got to keep moving. We should, we should do what's right, good, and true. We should live pleasing God, in verse 10, proving that which is acceptable unto the Lord. The next few verses talks about how light. How light uh, will shed? Uh, how how you can shed light on sin, on darkness. How how light will reveal sin in the world. Uh, you know, brother brother uh, Bob, this morning, uh, preached a good or he taught a good lesson uh, about the from the life of Matthew and the life of Jesus, and 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 the question was, how should we deal with unbelievers? It's right there at the end of this lesson, and. We should speak to them the truth in love. We ought to be able to reveal to them that they're in a sinful state and they're facing maybe an eternity in hell if they've never trusted Christ. Uh, Not maybe, absolutely. We should allow uh, light to shed, to, to show the sin of unbelievers. But, you know, light... And I'm just going to read verses 13 to 14. I'm going to encourage you to read this whole passage through verse 17 but uh, when you get home. But just these last two verses, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. What he's saying is, is that light can transform unbelievers from the darkness into the realm of light themselves. Light, if you live, if you walk in light, your life and your testimony before them can help people see their need for a Savior and they can get saved and experience the kind of radical change that was described in the previous verses, how we were once darkness and now we are light in Christ. Um, That can happen if we'll just live the right way and live in light, but also we're to walk in wisdom. We're to walk in, in love, we're to walk in light, but we're to walk in wisdom. And I'm going to read these last three verses to you. It says in verse 15, See you then that you walked circumspectly, that means carefully, not as fools, man, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Three things I want to talk about as far as walking in wisdom. The first thing he says is not as fools, but as wise, as the wise. He's talking about wise people. Fools live recklessly. Fools live recklessly. We're to live as the wise. Fools live according to the rules of this world. The wise people are going to live according to God's word. Jesus said that fools build their lives upon the sand and the wise build their lives on the rock. Can I tell you what the rock is? it's in my hand right here. It's God's word. And you have a copy of it. If you're in America, you you have it at your hands, at your fingertips, anytime. Uh, Most of us in this room probably own multiple mini Bibles. We should be in them. We should build our lives on the truths revealed in there. We should not walk as fools, but as wise people. We also should be redeeming the time in verse 16. What does that mean? It means live like it matters because your life matters. It matters for more than just your kids. It matters for more than just your career. It matters for more than just your legacy. It matters for the life that God has called you to live, for His kingdom. Don't waste your life. Man, we spend so much time as Americans wasting our life, draining our brain cells in front of a screen instead of living out there. Do not waste your life. It's time to shine. And in verse 17, says, understanding what the will of the Lord
1: is. Came up in our uh,
0: Bob's lesson again this morning. That God's will is, it's, it goes a lot deeper than just the major decisions of our life. You know, we like to kind of compartmentalize God's will into who we should marry and you know, should we should be involved in church and, and uh, you know, what kind of a steward we should be with our funds. And, and these are important and good things. We also like to put that into, uh, uh, you know, what kind of career we should have and, and uh, you know, just how we should plan for the future. But so many of those things are informed by our American culture that oftentimes it's not really God's will. It's ours, but God's will is much bigger and and not reserved for just big decisions in our life. God's will is for every moment of your life. Paul lived this out. He said, I die daily. He's talking about his constant pursuit to follow the will of God on his life.
1: Every decision you make, you might, you might think that's kind of ridiculous. Brother Darren, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Your, your decisions matter. And if you're constantly seeking your own pleasures and comforts and, and preferences, well, you're probably going
0: to miss the mark. This morning, I, I tried to encourage you to praise God loudly with your voices. You know, Baptists, we've gotten really comfortable with kind of subdued services. We've gotten really comfortable with uh, just uh, the bare bones for instruments. Did you know this place ought to sound like a carnival when we worship God? I'm not talking about it ought to sound amusing. I'm saying it ought to sound like something is taking place here and the people out on the street can hear it. We ought to, These walls should shake. With our worship. My ears should throb. I asked you to do it. We didn't quite get there. Maybe we'll try again this afternoon. And Maybe you were thinking, well, my ears are throbbing with your singing, Brother Darren, but. And sing louder than me, okay? I know I got a mic and all that. You can sing louder than me. The willow. It says, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Paul's not talking about something you're going to pray about. and Ask your preacher, God, uh, uh, preacher, what is the will of God for me? He's talking about a will that is already revealed in God's word. Listen, if we're to live a life as true Christians, if we're going to live the Ephesians life that we're to live daily, we should have a new walk. We should walk in love. We should walk in the light and we should walk with wisdom. If you're not doing it, I hate to tell you this,
1: you're missing something. You may not even know it, but you're going to miss it. How many of y'all like uh, to uh, think about someday when you're on your deathbed, what kind of regrets you're going to have? I bet none of you are going to regret, man, I wish I had bought that car. That was a really nice car. Or I bet none
0: of you are going to regret, uh, like, man, I wish I had gone on vacation more. You might regret that a little bit.
1: Listen, don't miss out on what God wants to do with your life, because you just live for yourself. Let's have a new walk. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Melissa's going to play a song of invitation for us. Whatever you want to play, sweetheart. It's your opportunity to respond to God's word. I pray you're not looking at the clock. I keep looking at it. But you know what? This time matters.